Chapter 4 Make Your Needs a Priority I want you to know that I'm really uncomfortable with that thing we talked about last week. Lars, an anxiety-filled executive, began his second session of counseling with this statement. Lars had come to see me on the encouragement of his wife. He reported being generally depressed and unhappy for as long as he could remember. In recent months, he had found it difficult to sleep at night and was experiencing migraine headaches on a regular basis. Even though everything in his life seemed to be fine, good job, nice home, family, etc., he never seemed to be happy. In his first counseling session, Lars revealed that he had constant fantasies of chucking it all and disappearing to somewhere else in the world. These thoughts made him feel guilty, so he kept them to himself. In that session, I asked Lars what he did for himself. He gave me a puzzled look. What do you mean? he asked. I repeated the question. After a pause, he answered, Not much, I guess. For the rest of the session, I shared with him the importance of making his needs a priority and taking responsibility for finding ways to meet them. This discussion was met with both fear and resistance from Lars. The same hesitancy was repeated as he began his second counseling session. Which part of our discussion last week made you uncomfortable? I asked. All of it, he responded. That part about making my needs a priority really made me uptight. I asked him what part about taking responsibility for his needs made him anxious. Everything, he responded. That seems like that would make me selfish and self-centered. What's wrong with that? I asked. Lars looked at me with amazement. "'What's wrong with that?' he replied. "'Is that being selfish would make me too much like my old man. "'All he ever thought about was himself, "'and the rest of us suffered as a result. "'I just couldn't do that. "'I couldn't be a self-centered SOB like him. "'I've got a wife, kids, a job, a mortgage, and bills to pay. "'There's no room for me to start behaving like my father.' Low-maintenance kinds of guys. Lars is a fairly typical nice guy when it comes to his needs. Nice guys generally focus their attention on meeting everyone else's needs while trying to be low-maintenance kinds of guys themselves. When I talk with them about making their needs a priority, their responses are similar to that of Lars. This ubiquitous pattern among nice guys is the result of childhood conditioning. When a child's needs are not met in a timely, healthy manner, the child may come to believe that he is bad for having needs. He may also think that it is his needs that cause people to hurt him or abandon him. Typically, nice guys respond to these inaccurate interpretations of their life events by developing a number of survival mechanisms. Trying to appear needless and wantless making it difficult for others to give to them, using covert contracts, caretaking, focusing attention on other people's needs. While creating an illusion of security in childhood, 
these survival mechanisms only increased the odds of their needs going unrecognized and unmet. Trying to appear needless and wantless prevents nice guys from getting their needs met. For nice guys, trying to become needless and wantless was a primary way of trying to cope with their childhood abandonment experiences. Since it was when they had the most needs that they felt the most abandoned, they believed it was their needs that drove people away. These helpless little boys concluded that if they could eliminate or hide all of their needs, then no one would abandon them. They also convinced themselves that if they didn't have needs, it wouldn't hurt so bad when the needs weren't met. Not only did they learn early not to expect to get their needs met, but also that their very survival seemed to depend on appearing not to have needs. This created an unsolvable bind. These helpless little boys could not totally repress their needs and stay alive, and they could not meet their needs on their own. The only logical solution was to try to appear to be needless and wantless while trying to get their needs met in indirect and covert ways. As a result of these childhood survival mechanisms, nice guys often believe it is a virtue to have few needs or wants. Beneath this facade of needlessness and wantlessness, all nice guys are actually extremely needy. Consequently, when they go about trying to get their needs met, Nice guys are frequently indirect, unclear, manipulative, and controlling. Making it difficult for others to give to them prevents nice guys from getting their needs met. In addition to using ineffective strategies to get their needs met, nice guys are terrible receivers. Since getting their needs met contradicts their childhood paradigms, Nice guys are extremely uncomfortable when they actually do get what they want. Though most nice guys have a difficult time grasping this concept, they are terrified of getting what they really want and will go to extreme measures to make sure they don't. Nice guys carry out this unconscious agenda by connecting with needy or unavailable people, operating from an unspoken agenda, being unclear and indirect, pushing people away, and sabotaging. A good illustration of this dynamic is the way nice guys commonly try to get their sexual needs met. Many of the nice guys I've worked with have expressed a heightened interest in sex, yet they frequently feel frustrated in their attempts to get these needs met. This is usually because their actions pretty much guarantee that they won't get what they believe they want. Nice guys have an uncanny knack of picking partners who, because of childhood sexual abuse or other negative experiences with sex, tend to have a difficult time being sexually expressive. When these partners do make themselves available to be sexual, it is not uncommon for nice guys to do something that further ensures that they don't get their needs met. The nice guy may respond by taking control, Rather than letting the sexual experience unfold, he may focus on his partner's sexual needs before she has a chance to pay attention to him. He may start a fight by making a comment about her weight or 
her past unavailability. All of these strategies pretty much ensure that the nice guy won't have to experience the fear, shame, or anxiety that might get triggered if he actually allowed someone to focus on his needs. Breaking Free, Activity 12 Ask yourself if you believe it is okay to have needs. Do you believe people want to help you meet your needs? Do you believe this world is a place of abundance? Using covered contracts prevents nice guys from getting their needs met. All nice guys are faced with a dilemma. How can they keep the fact that they have needs hidden but still create situations in which they have some hope of getting their needs met? In order to accomplish this seemingly impossible goal, nice guys utilize covered contracts. These unconscious, unspoken agreements are the primary way that nice guys interact with the world around them. Almost everything a nice guy does represents some manifestation of a covered contract. The nice guy's covered contract is simply this. I will do this, fill in the blank, for you, so that you will do this, fill in the blank, for me. We will both act as if we have no awareness of this contract. Most of us have had the experience of leaning over and whispering in our lover's ear, I love you. We then wait expectantly for our beloved to respond with, I love you too. This is an example of a covered contract in which a person gives to get. Saying, I love you, to hear, I love you too, in return, is the basic way nice guys go about trying to get all of their needs met. There is nothing wrong with asking your partner to tell you she loves you, but saying, I love you first to get an I love you too in return, is indirect, unclear, and manipulative. As a result of the conditioning they received in their family and society, nice guys believe if they are good, then they should be loved, get their needs met, and have a problem-free life. In reality, the primary paradigm of the nice guy syndrome is nothing more than a big covered contract with life. Caretaking prevents nice guys from getting their needs met. One of the most common ways nice guys use covered contracts to try to meet their needs is through caretaking. Nice guys believe their caretaking is fundamentally loving and is one of the things that makes them good people. In reality, caretaking has nothing to do with being loving or good. Caretaking is an immature and indirect attempt to try to get one's needs met. Caretaking always consists of two parts. Focusing on another's problems, needs, or feelings in order to feel valuable, get one's own needs met, or to avoid dealing with one's own problems or feelings. Reese, a graphic designer in his late 20s, is a good example of the extremes to which nice guys caretake in their intimate relationships. Reese, who is gay, lamented in one of his therapy sessions... Why can't I find a partner who gives as much back to me as I give to him? He went on to describe how all of his boyfriends seemed to be takers and that he always did all of the giving. Within a period of a year, Reese entered into three intense relationships. Each began wonderfully and seemed like the partnership he had been looking for. 
each failed because of the same scenario. Reese picked men who needed rescuing or fixing. His first boyfriend lived in Canada and had recently gotten off drugs. He came to live with Reese, but he never applied for a work visa and struggled to stay clean. Reese went out of his way to be supportive of his boyfriend with the hope that he would find a job and stay off drugs. Finally, Reese sent him home to get his life straightened out. Later, he found out from a mutual friend that the reason his boyfriend had never applied for a work visa was because he was HIV positive, something he failed to tell Reese. The next boyfriend was of a different race from Reese and had never come to grips with his homosexuality. His parents and religion kept him in constant conflict. He was never able to commit to the relationship. Nevertheless, Reese went out of his way to be supportive and giving, all with the hopes that his boyfriend would eventually get things straightened out and become available to Reese. The third boyfriend was in the military. He was living on base, some 40 miles from Reese's apartment, and had no car. Reese had to take the initiative in getting together and would often shuttle his partner around. Because Reese made more money, he always paid when they went out. Reese frequently bought his boyfriend gifts and loaned him money. When this boyfriend got transferred to a different state, Reese quit his job, sold his car, and moved along with him, only to return in three months because his partner started running around on him. During this 12-month period, while Reese was so busy caretaking the needs and problems of his boyfriends, he gave up his job and alienated most of his friends and family. Reese's caretaking allowed him to stay oblivious to his own self-destructive behaviors while investing tremendous energy in trying to fix others. As is true for most nice guys, no matter how much he gave to others, Reese never felt like he got as much back in return. Breaking Free, Activity 13 Identify at least one covered contract between you and a significant other. What do you give? What do you expect in return? Share this information with the other person. Ask the person how it feels to respond to an unclear agenda. Caring versus caretaking. Though nice guys see everything they do for others as loving, caretaking has very little to do with caring. Here are the differences. Caretaking, one, gives to others what the giver needs to give. Two, comes from a place of emptiness within the giver. Three, always has unconscious strings attached. Caring, one, gives to others what the receiver needs. Two, comes from a place of abundance within the giver. Three, has no strings attached. Nice guys care take for a number of reasons, none of them having anything to do with love. For them, even the most innocuous and subtle act often has some string attached. Nice guys give in the ways they would like others to give to them. They give gifts, affection, back rubs, sex, surprises. They will encourage their partner to take a day off, buy a new outfit, go to the doctor, take a trip, quit a job, go back to school, yet would not give themselves permission to do any of the same things. Breaking Free, Activity 14 
identify two or three examples of your caretaking behavior. In order to stimulate awareness of your caretaking, do one of the following for a period of one week. 1. Go on a caretaking moratorium. Because nice guys have a difficult time differentiating between caring and caretaking, stop giving completely, except to young dependent children. Tell people what you are doing so they won't be confused. Observe your feelings and other people's reactions. 2. Consciously try to caretake more than you already do. As odd as this assignment may sound, it is a very effective way to create awareness of your caretaking behavior. Pay attention to how you feel and how other people react to you. The Victim Triangle Rather than helping nice guys meet their needs, covered contracts and caretaking only lead to frustration and resentment. When this frustration and resentment builds long enough, it often spills out in some not-so-pretty ways. Giving to get creates a cycle of craziness called the victim triangle. The victim triangle consists of three predictable sequences. One, the nice guy gives to others, hoping to get something in return. Two, when it doesn't seem that he is getting as much as he gives, or he isn't getting what he expected... He feels frustrated and resentful. Remember, the nice guy is the one keeping score, and he isn't totally objective. 3. When this frustration and resentment builds up long enough, it spills out in the form of rage attacks, passive-aggressive behavior, pouting, tantrums, withdrawing, shaming, criticizing, blaming, even physical abuse. Once the cycle has been completed... It usually just begins all over again. My wife refers to these episodes as victim pukes. Sometimes the puking will resemble a child's temper tantrum. Sometimes the victim puke will take a more passive-aggressive form in which the nice guy will have an affair or act out in some hidden way. All the while the person doing the puking will feel justified because of the many ways he has been victimized. These victim pukes are one of the primary reasons nice guys aren't always so nice. Shane's relationship with his girlfriend Raquel is a good example of the victim triangle and emotional puking. Shane had Raquel on a pedestal, but deep inside he believed she could only love him if he was good enough. In order to win her love, he gave her gifts, sent her cards, left phone messages bought her clothes, planned special surprises, and helped her with her home and children. All of this created a sense of emotional indebtedness for Raquel. She felt like she could never repay Shane for everything he did for her. The truth was she couldn't. Shane was trying to buy her love. Only the contract wasn't clear. In time, the only way she could cope with his pleasing and caretaking was by pushing him away. When this happened, Shane was devastated. He couldn't understand why, if he had fulfilled his end of the contract, Raquel wouldn't keep hers. He didn't think he was that hard to please. The more Shane gave to Raquel, the more resentful he became. He would accuse her of not loving him. They would have tremendous battles in which they would break up, calling each other all kinds of names, Afterward, 
Shane would feel frightened and remorseful, and pursue Raquel and try to fix things, all the while resenting her for not pursuing him and trying to fix things. He would then start caretaking and pleasing again to win her love. The cycle repeated itself over and over again. Breaking Free, Activity 15 It can be difficult to make a direct link between your caretaking behavior and the victim pukes which inevitably follow. Observe the ways you hurt the people you love. Do you make cutting remarks or hurtful jokes? Do you embarrass them in public? Are you frequently late? Do you forget things they've asked you to do? Do you criticize them? Do you withdraw from them or threaten to leave? Do you let frustration build until you blow up at them? Ask the significant others in your life to give you feedback about your caretaking and victim pukes. This information may be hard to hear and may trigger a shame attack, but it is important information for breaking out of the victim triangle. Becoming Truly Selfish When I began writing this book, I shared the early drafts with members of my No More Mr. Nice Guy men's groups. On one occasion, a group member stated, It seems like the whole emphasis of the book is about focusing on oneself. It seems really selfish and self-centered, like the nice guy should just think about himself and not worry about anyone else. Even though I did not set out to write No More Mr. Nice Guy with this theme in mind, this group member's comments contained an important truth that I hadn't been fully conscious of before. Since nice guys learn to sacrifice themselves in order to survive, recovery must center on learning to put themselves first and making their needs a priority. Most nice guys are astonished when I tell them that it is healthy to have needs and that mature people make getting their needs met a priority. Sometimes I have to repeat this truth many times in order for it to sink in. For nice guys, having needs means being needy, and needy represents a one-way ticket to abandonment. I tell nice guys, no one was put on this planet to meet your needs, except their parents, and their job is done. I also remind them they weren't put on this planet to meet anyone else's needs, except those of their children. This paradigm shift is always terrifying for recovering nice guys, The idea of making their needs a priority feels like the quickest route to being disliked, unloved, and all alone. Whenever I challenge nice guys to focus on making their needs a priority, their responses are pretty predictable. People will get angry at me. People will think I'm selfish. I'll be alone. What if everyone lived this way? I then list the benefits for nice guys and the people around them when they begin to put themselves first. They increase the likelihood of getting what they need and want. They can give judiciously, giving what people really need. They can give without resentment and expectation. They become less needy. They become more attractive. Most nice guys 
will really like the last benefit on the list. Helpless, whiny, wimpy, and needy are not attractive on a man. Confidence and self-assurance are attractive. Most folks are attracted to men who have a sense of self. Putting the self first doesn't drive people away. It attracts them. Putting the self first is essential for getting what one wants in love and life. Taking responsibility for their own needs helps nice guys get their needs met. In order for nice guys to get their needs met, they must begin to shift their core paradigms. This shift includes coming to believe having needs is part of being human. Mature people make meeting their own needs a priority. They can ask for help in meeting their needs in clear and direct ways. Other people really do want to help them meet their needs. This world is a place of abundance. In order to get their needs met, recovering nice guys must do something radically different from what they have done previously. For nice guys, putting the self first is not just a suggestion to try on for size. It is essential, not only for getting needs met, but also for reclaiming personal power, feeling fully alive, and experiencing love and intimacy. Interestingly enough, when nice guys take responsibility for their own needs and make them a priority, those around them benefit too. Gone are the covered contracts, the guessing games, the anger outbursts, and passive-aggressive behavior. Gone are the manipulation, the controlling behavior, and the resentment. I learned this lesson firsthand a few years back. A holiday weekend was approaching, and our kids were going to be out of town. I tried to plan some time with my wife Elizabeth, but she seemed ambivalent and unwilling to make a commitment to what she wanted to do. I felt frustrated and put my plans on hold. Finally, upon the urging of a friend, I decided to try putting myself first over the weekend. I made plans and invited my wife to join me if she felt inclined. I did several things I wanted to do, including spending some time with friends. As it turned out, Elizabeth decided to join me on a number of occasions. On Monday, she shared with me that she had thoroughly enjoyed the weekend and didn't want it to end. A challenge. In a session of one of my No More Mr. Nice Guy men's groups, I challenged each of the group members to experiment with putting themselves first for at least a week. Though the challenge created tremendous anxiety for all of the men, each decided to accept it. The experiences of Lars, Reese, and Shane are presented below. Lars. Lars, introduced at the beginning of the chapter, went home after the group and told his wife that he was going to make his needs a priority for the following week. She was initially resistant to his proclamation, which added to his anxiety. To boost his courage, Lars called a couple of men in the group. Their encouragement gave him the support he needed to follow through with his commitment. Lars decided to keep it simple. His plan for the week involved making time every day to go to the gym and work out. Before his children were born, Lars had been physically active. The demands of job, home, and children had put an end to that. Lars decided to alternate his workouts before and after work. 
When he shared his plan with his wife, she applied a little guilt. That's not fair that you get to work out and I don't, she proclaimed. Lars was tempted to back down. He had an impulse to try to find a solution so his wife could work out too. Instead, he reflected her concern and told her he was going to work out anyway. During his first couple of trips to the gym, Lars was overwhelmed with guilt and anxiety. Nevertheless, he persevered. After the third day, his wife actually asked him how his workout went. As the week continued, Lars began to feel more energized and optimistic about life. He started sleeping better. At the gym, he enjoyed being around other people who were also taking good care of themselves. Surprisingly, after his first week, his wife told him that he had inspired her to start taking better care of herself. She told him that she was going to start dropping the kids off at the daycare center at the gym and begin an aerobics class for herself. Reese Reese had joined the No More Mr. Nice Guy group after his breakup with his last boyfriend. At first he had been uncomfortable being the only gay man in the group, but the other men accepted him, and he had begun to work on developing non-sexual relationships with men. Reese's habit on weekends was to go out with his latest boyfriend to gay bars on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. By Monday morning he was exhausted. He would spend the rest of the week playing catch-up. Reese was afraid that if he didn't go out whenever his boyfriend wanted, his boyfriend would leave him. Reese decided that for one weekend he would put himself first and do what felt right to him. He told his boyfriend in advance. Reese decided that he would go out just one night, not drink, and be in by midnight. On Saturday he made some plans to go to a movie with a couple of guys in the group. On Sunday, he stayed at home to relax and get caught up on some house cleaning and laundry. His goal was to be in bed by 10 p.m. on Sunday evening. When Monday came, Reese felt rested and clear-headed at work. His boyfriend hadn't dropped him, and the rest of the week felt productive and enjoyable. Shame Shane, also introduced earlier in the chapter, liked to do things for his girlfriend. Shane regularly gave her gifts, planned surprises, and did whatever he could to help her out. Shane's plan for putting himself first involved paying attention to when he had an impulse to do something for his girlfriend. Whenever he felt this impulse, he would instead do something for himself. When he thought about washing her car, he washed his own instead. When he felt the urge to buy her a gift, he bought himself something instead. When he thought about calling her just to see if she was okay, he called a group member instead. All of this created tremendous anxiety for Shane. Much to his surprise, at the end of the week, Raquel reported she felt a lot less smothered by Shane and actually looked forward to spending time with him. She even called late one evening after the kids were in bed and invited him over to make love. A couple of weeks later, Shane and Raquel talked about the change in a couple's counseling session. They decided to continue the process. For a period of six months, they agreed that Shane would not give any gifts or plan any surprises for Raquel. 
During the following six months, he refrained from giving her birthday, Christmas, and Valentine's cards or gifts. During this time, he focused on taking better care of himself and getting his needs met. In time, Shane came to see that not only did Raquel not stop loving him, she actually became more giving to Shane. One year later, they both reported that Shane could give a gift without using it as a way to get approval or affirmation. During this time, Shane had also learned that making his needs a priority made him less dependent, needy, and fearful. Both Shane and Raquel reported enjoying all the changes they had experienced since Shane made the decision to start putting himself first. Making the Decision Nice guys have believed a myth that promises them that if they give up themselves and put others first, they will be loved and get their needs met. There is only one way to change this illogical, non-productive, nice-guy paradigm. Put themselves first. Making the decision to put oneself first is the hardest part. Actually, doing it is relatively easy. When the nice guy puts himself first, there is only one voice to consider, his own. Decisions are now made by one individual rather than by a committee. He no longer has to mind-read, predict, or try to please multiple voices with conflicting agendas. When putting himself first, all the information he needs to make a decision is within him. Is this what I want? Yes. Then that's what I'll do. Breaking free from the nice guy syndrome involves taking responsibility for one's own needs. Others may cooperate with the nice guy, but they are not in charge of meeting his needs. By making their needs a priority and putting themselves first, recovering nice guys can come to see the world as a place of abundance. They can truly come to believe that their needs are important, and there are people out there who are happy and willing to help them meet them. Breaking Free, Activity 16 Make a decision to put yourself first for a weekend, or even a whole week. Tell the people around you what you are doing. Ask a friend to support you and encourage you in this process. Pay attention to your initial anxiety. Pay attention to your tendency to revert to old patterns. At the end of the time period, ask the people around you what it was like for them when you put yourself first. Remember, you don't have to do it perfectly. Just do it.